Kim knows nothing. I don't know. That was Kim over there. <laughs> Sorry. And who am I? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh boy. It starts with an F. <laughs> my name's Facey. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy. Yeah, Stacy but- knows everything. Well. Uh, I, have lim- I have limited knowledge in certain areas. You have a lot of knowledge in certain areas. If though. you try to ask me, for example, like what's nine times seven, I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> giving you an answer quickly. 63? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know about true crime. Mm-hmm. I share a story with Kim. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know anything about true crime. I think Joey was the smart one on Friends. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that reference is because he never said seen a friends. lot of stuff that made sense to me. <laughs> um, so I tell her a story. She reacts. She's <gasps> got sound effects. Boo! You stink. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. That's a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, are you ready to just jump right into this one? Let me crack my crack neck. neck. Get ready. Let's we don't do, do it. We don't do a lot of banter. I don't like a lot of banter on podcasts. I like to get to the information. Okay. Minimal banter. Copy. But I like bantering. I love banter. Whoa. That was a little Sorry. too enthusiastic. Oh, fine. You're fine. <laughs> All right. So this one is about a murder. Murds. Murds on the cast. We're talking murds on the cast <laughs> and traffic and weather on the tens and twos. What? Oh, that's like know. a news thing. Yeah, it feels like a news. I get it. Yeah. All right. I didn't come in here wearing my reporter's cap for nothing. I was wondering why you're dressed like that. Specifically for that comment. You're like, you're talking into a microphone, but you're also holding a microphone in your other hand. An old tiny microphone. Well, yeah, like Bob Barker style. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird and jarring. Yeah, and it's I not w- connected to anything. No, it's, it's very weird. It's for me. It's an aesthetic that I enjoy. Right. Is it glued to your hand or? Uh, it was an accident. Okay. Um, I actually probably have to go to urgent care after this. Oh, God. Okay. It is stuck. I'll call you a lift. That'd be great. Thanks. It's 2018. We use Lyft now. I won't drive you. And <laughs> no. I won't call you an Uber. No. All right. So. You won't call anything because it's an app. That's true. But you always say that. You yeah, say I'll true. call. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So I don't mean to uh, feature a lot of cases in California that happen in California. I feel like I have. And that's inadvertent. Okay. This one. Happened in California, in Southern <laughs> California, to be specific. SoCal. SoCal. Uh, we're LA-based. Mm-hmm. This one is about the tragic death of a 23-year-old woman named Denise Huber mm. from Newport Beach, California. Ah, uh, Newport Beach. Kim knows where it the is. The setting of the OC-ish. Uh, I think it, well, wasn't it Laguna? Yeah. Newport. No, it was Newport Beach. So on June 2nd, 1991, Denise Huber, she went to a concert with a friend and never came home. Oh, no. What'd she see? You're about to find out. Oh, okay. Easy there, fella. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were about to say easy. Hey, easy. Who's the rapper? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't, in, then I started to say easy A. That's a movie. Yeah. Definitely didn't come out in 91. No. I think Emma Stone was probably born in 91. Probably. (laughs) Um, Okay. So her car um, would be found abandoned on Highway 73 in Costa Mesa, just three short miles from her parents' Newport Beach home where she had been living. Oh, man. So let's set I've been on the 73. I know you have. That could have been me. It could have been. 
I've been to a concert before in my life. If you were alive in 91, but you're way too uh, young for that. Way too young. Still five years away from being born. That's right. <laughs> right now, in 2018, I'm still five years away from being born. <laughs> Wait. So let's set the scene a little bit. Okay. There you go. Kim, you know about Costa Mesa and Newport Beach? Uh-huh. Uh, they're considered more upscale neighborhoods here in Southern California. Bougie. Yeah, in Orange County, California. Mm-hmm. Also known as the OC. The OC, that's as right. popularized by the Fox television show starring America's sweetheart, Rachel Bilson. Every time. I feel like every episode should have a Rachel Bilson <laughs> reference. <laughs> yeah, Rachel and um, Chicago PD. Yeah, always. So yeah, Kim, you know about... Uh, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, the OC, this area. Mm-hmm. In 1991, the population of Newport Beach was 66,000, so it's a smaller community with lots of upscale beachfront properties. The average income is around 106,000 annually per household, and crime is Ooh. just really low there. Um, so this isn't the place you'd expect someone to get murdered. Essentially. No. This is why you move to a place like this. Exactly. To not safe. get murdered. Yep. So... Denise Annette Huber, our victim, she was born on November 22nd, 1967 in Modesto, California. Ooh. Why that reaction? Um, uh, you just um, felt like... Sounds like a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was five foot nine, a brunette with blue eyes, really beautiful, um, and she had no trouble getting dates because she was just real pretty and... What are you? People like her. She's tall. She smells like you because you're tall. She's brunette. She's got blue eyes. Her family moved around a bit when she was a child, and eventually she ended up graduating high school from Los Angeles Baptist High School in 1985. In 1990, she received her bachelor's degree in social sciences from the University of California, Irvine. Ooh, I know where that is. Yeah, Irvine is also in Orange County. Kind of in the same area. She's not going too far. Yeah, South Orange County. Um, After college, she worked as a waitress and as a salesperson at Bloomingdale's while she looked for work uh, in her career field. Denise loved traveling, music, reading, and water skiing. She sounds like a cool chick. Very sweet. Who uh, sounds too cool maybe to to have been friends with me. I think so. She would have been nice to me, but not like we wouldn't have hung out. I wonder. I'm confident. I don't know about this. <laughs> so the night of June 2nd, 1991, Denise went to a concert. That concert was Morrissey. Ooh, she's cool as shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, she went to this, this concert at a venue called The Forum in Inglewood, California. Inglewood is in South Los Angeles. So that's like 45 miles north of Newport. So it's kind of a drive. But yeah. when you live down here, um, you drive... Listen, long distances to go do fun things. It's a drive, but it's, it's drive. worth it. It's worth to it. To go see Morrissey. That's right. She had intended to bring her boyfriend, Stephen Horrocks, but he wasn't able to go, and he suggested... I'm sorry, Stephen Horrocks? Horrocks. H-O-R-R-O-C-K-S. Horrocks. Yeah, Horrocks. Yeah. Say that. He didn't want her to go alone, because he couldn't go, because he had to work, but he didn't want her to go alone to the concert, so he suggested that she go with their mutual friend. His name was Robert Calvert, or he went by Rob. Okay. Robbie Calv? Robbie Calv, sure. Yeah. Denise- that, and that joke right there is why Denise would not have been friends with me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe she made uh, bad jokes like you. Mm. Who knows? So Denise picked up Rob. He lived in Huntington Beach, which is nearby. Um, and later, Rob described Denise as um, she was very dressed up and she looked very attractive that night wearing a dark dress and jacket with black stockings and high heels. 
When they got to the concert, they sat in the parking lot and drank vodka and orange juice. Whoa. A little pre-game. Screwdrivers. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, don't buy drinks at a concert. That's too expensive. Yeah, that's a waste. Yeah. At the concert, they both shared a 20-ounce beer. See, again, smart. Very Sharing. smart. They already, and, oh, mm. liquor, oh, yeah, and liquor before beer, you're in the clear. Right. Beer before liquor, never been sicker. Exactly. So. So smart. Yeah, very smart to drink your vodka first. Yes. So after the concert, Denise and Rob, they drove to a restaurant slash bar in Long Beach called El Paso Cantina, um, which was about 30 miles south of where the concert was. And it would have been like on their way home to Newport. Mm -hmm. They drank some more. Denise had two beers. At the restaurant, they ran into a friend who investigators called Ross, but that wasn't his real name. Um, and he was, what? yeah, he, I guess they Are you kept, explain that later. They kept his identity just like mysterious for Uh-oh. whatever reason. Um, he was a guy who had been interested in Denise, but she kind of refused his advances and like turned him down, like in that restaurant. Sort of she like, she was like, I got a man. Like, I was like, what's your man got to do with me? I got a man. What's your man got to do with me? Go on. That's all I know of that song. And I can't even think of who sings it right now, but I know that that's a song. Oh, God. Unbelievable. (laughs) Um, So um, Denise and Rob, they left the restaurant at closing time at around 1.30 or 2 a.m. And Denise um, took Pacific Coast Highway to Huntington Beach, where Rob lived, and dropped him off at 2.05 a.m. Rob later told investigators that Denise didn't appear intoxicated from the drinking they had done that night. In the morning, when Denise's parents, Dennis and Ione, I think that's how you say her name. It's I-O-N-E. Hmm. Um, I think it's Ione. Um, so her parents, they noticed that she wasn't home. At first, they didn't think much of it because their daughter is 23. She's a woman, like a grown woman. And they didn't keep very close tabs on her because she was like a trustworthy, you know, adult. Yeah. But eventually, um, that morning, June 3rd, Denise's mom, she finally decides to call Denise's best friend, Tammy Brown, and ask mm. if she had seen her. Tammy said no, but she became concerned, and Tammy, the friend, decided to drive around and look for her friend. What year was this? 91. Okay. So no cell phones or anything? No. No cell phones at all. At about 10 p.m. that night, Tammy Brown found her friend Denise's blue 1988 Honda Accord alongside Highway 73. It was between two call boxes just south of the Bear Street exit. Uh. I know right where that is, side note. My brother used to live off of the Bear Street exit in Costa Mesa. Oh, really? Like, I know exactly where that is, uh-huh. which is weird to, like... That is weird. It's weird. Um, so Tammy called Denise's parents, and they came out to check out the car. The car was unlocked, and Denise's keys were not inside. The vehicle's right rear tire was flat, and there were skid marks on the road leading to it. So something happened to her tire, it like blew out or something, Mm -hmm. skids off to the side of the road. The area on the highway was well lit with call boxes nearby, so it didn't seem like that unsafe. It seemed like she was in a situation where she could maybe have gotten to that emergency call box. Mm -hmm. Costa Mesa police were called, um, and when they began their investigation, they noticed that nothing seemed awry with the car. No windows were broken. There was no sign of a struggle having occurred inside the vehicle, no blood, nothing like that. And nothing had been left behind by Denise, so she had taken her purse with her. The emergency flasher lights had been left on, it appeared, because the battery was dead. Okay. So it seemed like she had gotten out of the car with her belongings, put on the emergency lights, and started walking to get help. 
Um, police dogs picked up a scent, but they lost it pretty early on. And officers canvassed the neighborhood asking if anyone had seen Denise and no one had. So the next day, officers sent out um, helicopters to search the area, again with no luck. And an examination of Denise's car showed no signs of foreign fingerprints and no sign that her car tire had been tampered with. So there's no, like, she's just gone without a trace. There's no evidence of anything. She's just missing. Um, Police interviewed... Aliens! Oh, God. (laughs) Definitely aliens. Yeah. Okay, that's Kim's theory right now. Yeah. Pretty good. Um... So police interviewed Rob Calvert, who was with her at the concert. They theorized that maybe he was infatuated with Denise, but she had rejected him um, and angered him, maybe. They also interviewed Denise's boyfriend, Stephen Horrocks. Horrocks? Horrocks. Um, who hadn't been able to attend the concert that night, but he had an alibi and no apparent motive. Police also spoke with that man, Ross who they had Mm -hmm. seen at the restaurant that night, thinking maybe he had followed her home and done something to her. But none of these theories really wound up anywhere. There wasn't evidence to prove anything any which way. Hmm. Denise's parents, uh, they turned to the media and offered up a $10,000 reward for anyone who had any information at all regarding their daughter's disappearance. And over 15,000 flyers were put out at local swap meets and even at an Angels baseball game in the hopes that someone might know something. They also put up a six by 30 foot banner on the side of an apartment building alongside the highway where Denise's car had been found with like, have you seen me kind of thing. But there were no leads. I mean, no real leads. They got lots of calls, but it wasn't nothing. Everyone trying to get that 10K. Exactly. And nothing was was, uh, leading anywhere. So um, a couple months later in October of 91, the Huber family, they hired a private investigator named Logan Clark to conduct his own investigation. He set up a command center at the Marriott Residence Inn near the spot where Denise's car had been found, and he had a team of eight other investigators helping him. Clark said to the local paper that he was, quote, 80% sure she was dead. His theory was that Denise had been killed by someone she knew. Perhaps um, she had gotten into an argument that night, and that individual decided to kill her. The theory made sense because, so the likelihood that anyone would be killed by a total stranger is always really low. You know this already, right? No, but that makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, like, (laughs) number one, the chances of you getting murdered are so slim. Number two, the chances of you getting murdered by a stranger are even, like, lower than that. Um, A study by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, which utilized data collected from the FBI's supplementary homicide reports for 93 to 2008, they indicated that, quote, Among homicides reported to the FBI for which the victim-offender relationship was known, between 21 and 27% of homicides were committed by strangers. Wow. And between 73 and 79% were committed by offenders known to the victims. So you're most likely going to get murdered by someone who knows you. It makes sense. Like I guess it does make sense. It does concern me that you are holding a knife right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I do know you. Yeah, yeah. And you may be so angry today, you don't even know why. Is it because I can't let go of this microphone? It's not <laughs> it's still in your hand. I didn't know it was super glue. No. So, yeah, so it's really unlikely that you're going to be killed by a stranger. And so this private investigator, he he was thinking it's got to be like one of these guys, you know, one of the boyfriends or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, neither the Costa Mesa police nor private investigator Logan Clark are able to come up with any definitive suspects at all. And this case would go cold. Yeah. 
yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't have like a brr cold. <laughs> we should have that sound of it. Yeah. So, fast forward three years. Good one. Thank you. <laughs> you were ready to hit that one, weren't you? Yeah, I was ready for it. So, three years later, on the morning of July 13th, 1994, 430 miles away in Dewey, Arizona, Yavapai County Deputy Sheriff Joseph Michael D. Giacomo. That was a mouthful. Ooh, that was very good. Goodness gracious. Um, he received a radio call about a possible stolen truck parked outside a house. Interesting. Hmm? Huh. What are you thinking? Who knows? She's, Sorry. She's yawning. <laughs> Sorry. It's not because I'm bored. <laughs> um, I'm thinking that, that probably happens often. <laughs> Who <So>? knows? <laughs> it's Arizona. You never yeah. know. A woman named Elaine Court had made a visit to the owner of the home um, to purchase some paint from this person. Uh, right away, you know something's weird. Something's weird. Why are you buying paint from someone's home? <laughs> well, he was a handyman and a painter. And so he... He sold paint, and she was... That's very suspicious. <laughs> Where did he get the paint? He stole the paint that he's selling. <laughs> you can't make paint at his home. She's buying illegal paint. Elaine. <laughs> illegal paint. <laughs> she saw the truck in the driveway. So there's, like, this big truck in the driveway and called police because it seemed really suspicious. It, it was... Let me... let me When I explain it to you... You do know how I feel about if you see something, say something. But this yeah, feels sure. very extreme, Elaine. Wait. <laughs> okay, Elaine. Wait till I tell you. Okay, so it was a large Ryder brand rental truck. Have you ever seen the R-Y-D-E-R? Oh, yeah, It's like yeah, a big yeah. rental truck. You've yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ryder Strong. Yes. He's the founder of the company. Boy Meets World. Yeah. Got it. Or um, like Ryder Meets Money. That probably... Never mind. Yeah. Well played. Thank you. It was a Ryder brand rental truck with California plates. A little weird because it's Arizona. Um, and there was a, lo- a long extension cord coming from it, running from the back of the truck over the fence and plugged into the neighbor's house next door. Kim. <laughs> What are you thinking? He's stealing electricity also. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of the episodes of Scrubs where um, Sarah Chalk's character was living in a uh, moving truck for a little while because she, now all of her stuff was in there. She was hmm. going to move in with her boyfriend, maybe, and then she didn't. I think you need to hit the I guess I'll rewatch Scrubs one. from beginning to end again. I think I watched the first couple seasons of Scrubs and then... So that doesn't sound familiar. Well, Any, Anywho. Uh, any hoodles. So some kind of appliance could be heard inside the truck because that's what the extension cord was for. And it sounded like it was, you know, it was plugged in and was running like 24 hours a day. Okay, then you know what? what Elaine, you, totally okay to call. Right? See? Yeah. What do you, what do you, I mean, what do you think about this? I think someone's living in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> okay so what she's hearing is tv oh okay so you think it's a tv yeah, she, like a tv's she plugged push, in puts her little ear up to the truck she can hear like <laughs> please what the police have we tricked you from before because <laughs> she's watching chicago pd got it <laughs> favorite show um when authorities arrived they immediately determined that the truck uh had been stolen from california Okay. So they know it's stolen. They check the plates. And when they opened the truck, they found an industrial-sized freezer. One, oh, 
no. One that like opens from the top. Oh no. It was that was inside the cargo area, plugged in and running. That's what the extension cord was. What are you thinking? This is like she's gonna be in there. This poor young lady is gonna be in this freezer a hundred percent. Yeah. I literally just got the chills. Ugh. So they opened the freezer, and inside was a large black garbage bag. And when they touched it, it felt like a human arm was inside. Oh. Deputy D. Giacomo sealed off the truck, and he called Scott Masher, lieutenant supervisor of the Homicide and Major Crimes Unit of Yavapai County Sheriff's Department. Because D. Giacomo, he's not, like, homicide, so he calls in the homicide people. After cutting through three layers of garbage bags, Lieutenant Masher found oh. a naked human body, frozen solid... In the fetal position, with hands handcuffed behind the back. There were no identifying objects on the body, so it was sent to uh, forensic pathologists in Phoenix, Arizona. Pretty gross. I'm disgusted and super bummed. So um, medical examiner Dr. Anne uh, Bucholtz conducted the examination, and she used a hairdryer to begin thawing the body to collect uh, fluids and DNA, because when it's frozen solid, they can't collect as much Seems like they should have a better tool than a hairdryer for this. Yeah, I don't know why it was a hairdryer, but I think so that's weird. maybe standard procedure. That's no. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest standard procedure. Um, the body was preserved pretty well, and fingerprints were able to be gathered from this body. And they matched to Denise Huber, which Damn. is sad. That is really sad. Um, her fingerprints were in the system from when she had gotten her driver's license. So that's how they were able to match that. And you know, Kim, that your mm-hmm. fingerprints are in the system as well. Uh, well, they were. In California. I got new prints. <laughs> you burned them off MIB style. <laughs> you know that big ball and you like burned yeah, them off. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just kidding. I have my normal prints. Right. Okay. Okay. So the home where the truck was parked belonged to 39-year-old John Joseph Famolaro. That's how you know it's a problem. Three names. Yep. When interviewed, he was very calm and polite and acted relatively indifferent to the whole situation. Uh, Famolaro lived a really secluded life, and he made his living as a house painter and handyman. Mm-hmm. Got- Selling. Selling paint. Stolen paint. <laughs> I don't know if it was stolen, but probably. <laughs> Who knows? He lived next door Elaine to Elaine knows. Elaine knows. Yeah. He lived next door to his mother and Famolaro and had asked her if he could plug in a freezer to her house because he didn't want some food to spoil after a recent power outage. So remember it was the plug was going over the fence in the neighbor's yeah, house. It was plugged into his mom's house. Why is the mom not like I don't know. It seems weird that your freezer's in a truck. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. These are some messed up people. Okay. So she agreed. Um, she's like, sure, you can plug that in. And that's um, where the freezer is plugged in, obviously. Okay, so uh, Famolaro, he was born in Long Island, New York on June 10th, 1957, the youngest of three children. The family moved to Santa Ana, California, which is a city near Newport Beach, near-ish. It's still in South Orange County, yeah. um, when he was about a year old. Um, Famolaro, at the time, he had no criminal records. So at the time that they find this body, which is three years after Denise had gone missing, he had no criminal record. And because he lived such a private life, even neighbors knew hardly anything about him. He was a hoarder who had all kinds of items like stacked outside and inside his home. Neighbors, they found it unsightly, but they never said anything because he was like not an approachable person. It was the kind of guy where you're just like, I'm not going to mess with this guy. There's something yeah. off about him. 
Um, a year and a half prior to this, he had been living in Lake Forest, California, which is a- another one of those neighboring towns in the Newport Beach area. Yeah. There's but, like a thousand towns in, in Southern s- California. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> They're all right next to each other. They're all like in that area. Um, but he had moved to Dewey, Arizona, next door to his mother, to help care for his ailing father, Angelo, who had Parkinson's disease. So that's why he was in Arizona. The Famolaro family, they had a sordid history, as John's brother, uh, his older brother, Warren, a chiropractor, he had been convicted in 1981 of sexually assaulting a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old patient. So already you've got, like, what's wrong with this family where the older brother is doing some bad things, and now this John guy is doing bad things. Yeah. Um, Marion Thobe, the um, the sister of John Famolaro, so there were three kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she would later describe their upbringing as a perversely repressive one, accompanied by verbal abuse and beatings with belts. And it was their mom who was really, um, she really spearheaded all of that. Their dad oh, wow. kind of took a backseat a little bit. Their mother took religion to an extreme that bordered on fanaticism, is what the sister said. Um, and she also claimed that her that their older brother, um, Warren, had molested both her and John. So really yeah. messed up. I was reading that the mother was, like, so extreme that, like, even if they were watching a movie and there was, like, a kissing scene, she would, like, cover her kid's eyes. Like, Whoa, this is wrong. that's what you did to me, though. Yeah, for sure, because yeah. that's not appropriate for you. No. Um, what's up with the sister? Did she leave? Is she like a part of the family at all? Or um, I'm not sure anything about her. She didn't seem to have a criminal record or anything like that. But when it came time for this trial, she she came and testified and said everything she could to help the prosecution because she knew her okay. family was messed up. Um, she tried to help her brother, um, but there was not much that she could do. Um, so it sounds like things are not great. Things are not great. Okay. Um, as uh, police searched her son's home for several days, Anne Famolaro, the mother who lived next door, she set up a lawn chair and watched them from the driveway the entire time, <laughs> which is, like, so <laughs> creepy. Like, that's, like, some, like, Norman Bates, like, yeah. psycho stuff. Like, ugh. Um, Norman and Norma Bates. I didn't see those that movie. Oh, okay. But I, I understand the reference. Yeah, I think it's, like, a pretty... Yeah, pretty. I've uh, taken the tour at Universal, so <laughs> something about a hotel. So you like drove past it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, all they yeah. do. Yeah, and then there's a Norman Bates actor who like it's like holding. Yeah, a knife. he like drags about, a body out and like yeah puts it in the trunk of the car. Okay, so in the garage, um, in the garage of John Famolaro, the police are still searching, and they found a box labeled Christmas. But inside, there were no Christmas decorations. Instead, police found Denise's bloody clothing, her driver's license, and her high-heeled shoes. But also... Ooh, you suck! Yeah. Because do not tarnish Christmas with your murds. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> um, the high-heeled shoes they found, the heels had been scuffed up in a manner that looked like... Um, she had been dragged along oh. like a highway kind of pavement. So that's that's how they appeared. Um, also in the box were bloody surgical gloves, an empty handcuffs box. So as if he had gotten handcuffs out of a brand new box. Spare white plastic trash bags, a blood-stained hammer and blood-stained nail puller, and a roll of duct tape. Um, I have something to say. Yes. I think he did it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm starting to suspect him. I think you're pretty close. Okay. Um, oh. Police also found a receipt that showed Famolaro had bought the freezer just days after Denise's disappearance. Um, also found were Famolaro's clothing with Denise's blood on them. So, I mean, this is really... Kind of open and shut. For sure. Um, inside, All right, well, see ya. <laughs> see ya, okay, done. Inside his house were several issues of the Orange County Register, which is a local paper for Orange County, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and these each issue was um, detailing Denise's disappearance. There was also a videotaped recording of an episode of the TV show Inside Edition that covered Denise's disappearance. So, I mean, there's so this many... Guy is really a fan of himself for sure um denise's body had been wrapped in three large uh black garbage bags and her head had been wrapped in three white kitchen garbage bags it was so awful Ugh. um and then um her eyes and mouth had been covered with the duct tape her mouth had a cloth like gag in it as well um, the bags had been wrapped around her head, and then she was bludgeoned to death. Um, pieces of white plastic bag were, like, lodged in her skull, indicating that the bag had been placed over her head before she was struck. Um, also, the lacerations in her skull appeared to come from two different kinds of weapons, not just one, which is, like, cheese. This is extremely violent. Oh, and Denise had been struck 31 times in the head. Wow! Which is just, that's too much. That's, w- w- some, some would argue that one is too much Ugh. yeah <laughs> um forensic evidence Ugh. showed that denise had been sexually assaulted and semen was actually able to be extract- extracted and it was a match to john famolaro so this is i mean it really is like pretty easy forensic case against this guy yeah um investigators also learned that famolaro had been working as a handyman in newport beach california at the time of denise's disappearance so that puts him at the location and mm-hmm. he had rented out a warehouse in nearby laguna hills another one of these little towns it's all in that area <laughs> that he was working out of this warehouse um and the police searched the warehouse and they found a brown looking stain on the concrete floor and behind some drywall, a maroon-colored stain that, upon testing, was revealed to be remnants of human blood that could possibly be that of Denise Huber. This guy, literally, all that's left is, like, a note that says, I did it. Right. And that's that's all you're, you're needing so at this point. It's just so clear that this guy did it. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly clear what happened to Denise Huber that night and how, how it happened on June 2nd, 1991, because Famolaro, he never really confessed or gave, like, details. But the theory that they came up with was that that evening, Denise had a flat tire and she stepped outside her car. Um, Famolaro pulled up and offered to help. He somehow overpowers her, maybe knocking her out. Um, he drags her body along the highway and takes her to his warehouse a few miles away. Ugh. There he kills her and then stores her body in that freezer he bought only a few days later. Two years later, when he had to move to Arizona to take care of his father, he stole that rider rental truck and took the freezer with Denise's body in it with him, which is so sick that it's like he kept it as... Well, he's a hoarder. Yeah, that's true. There's that. And I think he wanted like a memento. And that's what hoarders, that's what they do. They hang on to sentimental items and yeah. Ugh. Um... Police had a theory that this couldn't have been a one-time thing. I mean, this kind of, the way he killed this girl and what he did to her, they were like, there has to be more that he's done. But there's there's no evidence to support that. They Police yeah. only theorized that. You know, it doesn't seem like, I don't know, it really doesn't seem like you do that one time. 
he, I believe he probably did it other times, but who's to say? So on June 20th, 1997, six years after Denise's disappearance and murder, John Famolaro was tried and convicted of first-degree murder, and he was sent to San Quentin Prison and sentenced to death. In 2011, an appeal was made to the California Supreme Court with def- defense attorneys arguing that Famolaro had never received a fair trial because there was so much negative publicity against him. Oh, poor guy. I know. But that original verdict was upheld. They threw that out. They're like, no. Yeah. So as it stands now, he's on death row. Um, the death penalty in California has been in sort of like a limbo. Um because, and you might already know this, but it's been ruled that the three chemical chemicals they use um, for the lethal injection might be inhumane and cause, like, severe pain. Um, and so no one has actually been executed in California since 2006 because there's been this, um, there's sort of a, like a moratorium put on the death penalty right now or on mm-hmm. executions. Um, the The alternative they had ruled in this, like, There was like a lawsuit. The alternative um, that uh, they had determined in this 2006 lawsuit would be to administer a lethal dose of barbiturates, but that could only be administered by a healthcare professional. And since healthcare professionals abide by a set of ethics that prevents them from killing, this creates sort of a legal limbo regarding the death penalty. That's why no one's been executed for so long. California is held up by that right now. Um, and so people call California a symbolic death penalty state because people hardly ever get executed here. Yeah. There's always something, you know, preventing it. Um, just last year, Prop 66 was passed, which is supposed to expedite um, the legal process that leads to executions. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, nothing has really come of it. And still, there have been no executions. But that's, that's right. just a side note because, you know, this guy's been sitting on death row since 1997 and like everybody else sitting on death row he's probably not going to be executed just um, twirling his thumbs that's right so maybe it's better i don't know if, if it sucks to be in san quentin maybe it's better that he's suffering yeah so that's the story of the girl in the freezer Whew. that's a tough one thoughts i'm a little spooked by it yeah it's a little spooky it's definitely a spooky one this guy sounds like a prick here are my final thoughts yes everyone just stay super safe right um yeah well i think now this one really is like a real bummer one Mm -hmm. because it's like very scary yeah and it's that whole like i mean i i was listing off like how rare it is that you're going to be killed by a stranger and that's actually what happened to her it still is really rare yeah um, but now we have cell phones, and I think that changes the game. Mm-hmm. This would not have happened to her if she had a cell phone. She would have stayed in her car. Yeah. She would have called her dad or whatever it was. Um, and also nowadays, we're even more on the alert for that type of thing, I feel like, than we were even in the 90s or, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like 2 a.m. Don't get out of your car. Don't start. Don't get out of your don't car. Don't walk on the highway in your heels. Not that you're asking for it, but just, do, just, just don't. Just be careful. Yeah. Be careful. And also, um, here is a fact. Mm-hmm. Because she was on the side of the road, or because she was on the freeway, it's possible many cars may have driven past her. So it's possible that there may have been witnesses. But statistically speaking, mm. um, if some, if more the more people that are a witness to something, like a crime or an emergency, the fewer people that will call for help because they think mm. everyone else is already called. Oh, that so makes sense. In a situation like this, call 911. Right. If you, if see, you something, see something, say something. Say something, yeah. Good call. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a Kim's Corner. There was no, no Kim's Corner. No room for Kim's Corner There was no Corner room for it, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I feel like I really nailed it last week with Kim's Corner. And <laughs> you really did. I, I, we've already seen the number of soul patches dramatically drop. <laughs> Ever um, since then. Brennan Center for Justice just did a great uh, survey of it and really <laughs> showed the stats for it. So, uh, All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Yep. Kim, did you like that one? I liked it. Yeah, I know. It's a bummer. No, it was well told. You did a great job. Thanks. Yeah. Um, how can you find us on social media? <sighs> She's so bummed out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can go to uh, websites. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, we are at Kim Knows Nothing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and dot com. Lock that shit down. Um, so if you go to any of those sites, you can find links to all the stuff that Stacy did, all the research and everything. We've also got additional um links and like random stuff that we talked about throughout the episode pop culture related or not or related to the case um you can find all of that on any of the websites so instagram facebook twitter and dot com get at us go to all those places mm-hmm. i said all those places all those places. all those places <laughs> weird um and rate us on your podcast app give us five stars mm-hmm. or if you hate us give us one star if i don't care us that's fine but please go to kimknowsnothing.com slash contact <laughs> Yeah. And let us know what we can do better. Yeah, for sure. Let us know what you think. Let's let not us open that out to everybody. But no. just if you hate us, yeah. tell us why. I mean, tell us why. We would love to improve. Yeah. We want to keep the listeners happy. I'm, I'm set in my ways. We want to keep you coming back. Yeah, that's true. Kim, I lead this thing. You're just here as like entertainment value. I know. It's, that's <laughs> a fact. <laughs> I lift right out. <laughs> All right. Well, great episode. As always. Good job, Kim. Thanks, Stacy. Great Thank- job, Stacy. Thanks. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. Great job listening. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>